Grab your Bibles and open to Psalm 9. Psalm 9, as we continue our series of uh, a summer of Psalms. Let's read together the Word of God. This is His inspired and authoritative Word. And we believe it. Psalm 9. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence, for you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established His throne for justice, and He judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble, and those who know Your name put their trust in You. For You, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek You. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the people His deeds, for He who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk in the pit they have made. In the net that they hid, their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. We ask that you would open our eyes to the wonders of your law, that you would open our ears to hear it, that you would open our eyes to believe it, that you would open my mouth to proclaim it, and move on our wills, Lord, that we would obey it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. From the Los Angeles Times, a few weeks back, I read this. The LGBTQ pride flag was raised over the Kenneth Hahn Hall of Administration in downtown Los Angeles on Thursday, June 1st, marking the first time the flag has flown over any Los Angeles County building. 
Amid speeches condemning attacks on the gay community and anti-transgender laws in other states, the Board of Supervisors made good on a March motion to raise the Pride Progress flag over its headquarters containing county offices as a symbolic act of love and acceptance of all queer county residents. Quote, By raising the flag today, we are sending a bright and beautiful message to our LGBTQ residents that we are proud you have chosen Los Angeles County to be your home, said 4th District Supervisor and Board Chair Janice Hahn. I'm using quotes. Sister Tootie Toot of the L.A. Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence gave a blessing calling the flag a lantern to bring light to those who suffer in the dark and a beacon of hope to those who feel marginalized or forgotten. The Sisters is a 44-year-old charitable group known for drag depictions of Catholic nuns. On Thursday, Toot was wearing a dress and a chiffon cape, black boots, a nun-like white habit, a black beard, heavy cake makeup, and red lipstick. Brothers and sisters, we are in a war. We are in a war. If you don't realize this, then you haven't been watching the news, reading the papers, or seeing anything on TV or any other kind of media. We are in a war. But this is nothing new. This is nothing new. We have been in this war since the fall of Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Notice the craftiness of the serpent, the intelligent and ancient wicked evil. He said to the woman, did God actually say, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that it's in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, 
the serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Notice that from the very beginning, at the fall, enmity is there between the fruit or the offspring of the woman and of the serpent's offspring, of Satan's offspring. And the offspring of the woman, we know because we see from where we're standing, looking back, that he, her offspring, her offspring, this he will bruise the serpent's head and his heel will be bruised by the serpent. And we, of course, know that this is the, this is the, the, the first evangelistic message. This is the first, the first gospel message that Christ will come and will defeat Satan. But between then and now, we're going to be engaged in a number of battles. The good news is this. We know from Genesis 3 that we win and we have won because Christ has conquered over death and Satan. Christ has conquered. We have won, but there are battles still to be fought as we move toward our final culmination, as we see our Lord Jesus return to us, right? So as we see these continual battles around us, and in many times a darkening of our, of our culture, is there any encouragement for us? Any help from us? Well, the answer, of course, is yes. And I believe Psalm 9 helps us to know how we are to react and also be encouraged when we're dealing with these situations and even, even when battles are won. So we're going to see four elements this morning that are in your notes. The psalmist resolves, the psalmist remembers, the psalmist response, and the Lord's retribution. So let's be helped this morning by a fellow soldier, David. Psalm 9 and 10 uh, follow an acrostic pattern. Um, we're not going to get into Psalm 10 today because uh, we'd be here for three and a half hours, and uh, we've already been here a while. So Psalm 9, though, we're going we're to look at Psalm 9. And here's what James Hamilton said of this psalm in his Evangelical Biblical Theology Commentary. It says, The unit of Psalms 3 through 9 seem to deal with Absalom's revolt. After the introductory psalm, now remember, Absalom is, is David's son who is trying to uh, have a coup and take over the king and get rid of his father David. Now stop and think for a minute. Of course, on a, on a micro level, on a personal level, this is hurtful if your son betrays you and goes against you and, and denies who you are as king and tries to take over your, your rightful kingship. So yes, it's it's horrible on a personal level as father and son. It's horrible on a national level. But even greater than that, even greater than that, this is part of the ongoing plot of Satan to thwart God's plan for the son of David to come and be the right and true king and Messiah, who we've been praising this morning together. True? So he says, 
After the introductory Psalm 1 and 2, the subscription, superscription to 3, locate the prayer with David, uh, it said this. It's when David fled from before Absalom, his son. The superscription of Psalm 9 speaks of the death of the son and celebrates God's justice. So the superscription of Psalm 9 contains a unique phrase found in no other psalm. The ESV renders it according to Muth, Muth Labin. This phrase is translated in the King James or New King James as to the tune of death of the son. In 2 Samuel 18 through 19, you can read that on your own this week, David mourns Absalom's death and Joab rebukes him for saddening the people who risked their lives on his behalf. Psalm 9 is perhaps a result from David reacting, not his father, to the tragic death of a wayward son, but instead but instead, uh, for, for, I lost my place here, forgive me, <laughs> uh, but for, for a king who is uh, being revolted against by his own son and, and God's, God's anointed one. So, so this could be, the possibility is that Psalm 9 is speaking of the death of Absalom, but not thinking David thinking of him as his son and grieving that way, but instead rejoicing as Yahweh's truly anointed king. Okay, um, It's just one battle with Satan that we've seen. An attempt on the life of David to stop God's anointed, to stop God's plan. So let's look and see how David responds when he sees that he has overcome in this battle. First is, number one, the psalmist resolves. The psalmist resolves. Look at verses 1 and 2. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Notice what David says. I will give thanks. I will recount. I will be glad. I will sing praise. What does it mean to will? When we say, I will do something, what, what, and even, even, even deeper than that, what is the will itself? What is the will? Well, the will is the mind choosing. The will is the mind choosing. When you say, I will do something, with your mind, you are choosing and making a, a decision. I am choosing to do this. I will do this. And so I want to look here and see how David so forcefully speaks to the Lord in this as he makes his resolve. I will give thanks to the Lord. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name. I will sing praise to your name. C.S. Lewis wrote this about praising in his book, Reflections on the Psalms, that highlights a problem he felt as he read the Psalms before he was a believer. It troubled him that God was always calling for praise. And and C.S. Lewis says it sounded to him like a vain woman always demanding compliments. How do I look in this? What do you think? Does this look nice? Does this look good? But he says, the most obvious fact about praise, Lewis says, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of in terms of compliment or approval or of giving honor. I never noticed that all enjoyment, 
spontaneously overflows into praise unless, and sometimes even if, shyness of the fear of boring others is deliberately brought into check. The world rings with praise, C.S. Lewis says. Lovers praising their loved ones, readers praising their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, houses, uh, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians or scholars. I had not noticed how the humblest and at the same time most balanced and capacious praised most, while the cranks, misfits, and malcontents praised least. I had not noticed either that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't that glorious? Don't you think that's magnificent? The psalmist in telling everyone to praise God are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. My whole more general difficulty about the praise of God, Lewis says, depended on my absurdly denying to us as regardly as regards the supremely valuable what we delight to do, what indeed we can't stop doing about everything that we value. Everything that we value, we praise. Everything we value, we praise. What is it that you praise? What do you speak highly of? What do you exalt? What do you glory in? What do you talk about? Only a few, I, w- I was saddened to, to hear only a few weeks ago, uh, the discussion of football here at this church. <laughs> and you know, I'm joking, okay? Uh, I have no idea what the sport is about. When I watch it, I see nothing. I see no thing. I see men running about in, in, in way too tight little uniforms, you know, pushing each other around. Large men. It's embarrassing. All right? But some of us here supposedly enjoy it. But those men who love this game praise it. They, glor- they can't stop talking about it. And here's what drives me crazy. They talk about my team. How are we doing? Aren't we going to do great? You know, they even own it as that's who we are. Anyway, that, that's, that's free. <laughs> but the point is simply this. The things we care about, the things we love, we can't help but praise. And so the psalmist, David, begins this psalm in great resolve. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. His mind chooses to do this. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult. Exult is not exalt. Exalt is to lift high. Exult is to to have supreme joy in. That's what exult means. I will have supreme joy in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. This is where David begins in this psalm by resolving to praise God in every way possible. Well, how is he able to do this? How can he bring such praise and and, and, and decide to praise God in this way? Well, it brings us to our second point, because the psalmist remembers. The psalmist remembers. David remembers. Look at verses 3 through 6. And notice, notice the pronoun you. Notice when he's talking to God here. He says, When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. 
You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. First, David resolves and says, I will give thanks. I will recount. I will be glad. I will sing praise. And how can he do this? Because of you, David says. Because of you. He praises God in the midst of these challenging times, in the midst of these battles, because his eyes are fixed upon the author and perfecter of his faith. I give thanks. I am glad. I am supremely joyful because of you. Because of you. Brothers and sisters, when we're going through those challenging times, is it your resolve to say, I will give thanks. I will sing praise. I will exult in the Lord Most High. If you're not able to do that, it's because your eyes are fixed not on Him, but on you or on the circumstances around you. A.W. Pink said in one of his books, one of our challenges is when we're in challenging situations and sometimes in the culture in, in which we find ourselves in, we're spending all our time looking around. We're looking around, looking around, looking around, when instead he says we should cast our eyes above the clouds to look above, and there we see a throne. And there upon the throne, we see our sovereign God. So stop looking around and start looking above to see God, our Father. The psalmist remembers that all his success is because of his great God. David remembers how his enemies have been routed, how God has been his defense, how God is sovereign, how God is just, how the enemy that seems so strong has vanished. I don't know if you've been in a situation like this before, but there are times when, when I have had people who didn't like me and they, they in some ways defined my whole life, it seemed to be the case. The psalmist remembers the fleeting nature of his enemies. Listen to what the psalmist says and then come back to what I'm saying here. Verse 6, the enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out, the very memory of them has perished. The very memory of them has perished. They're, they're brief, transitory, passing, temporary, momentary. As I mentioned before, I was teaching one time in, in Watts years ago. And there was a, a lady on the campus who uh, did not love the Lord. And she was... Um, very cantankerous, let me just say that. She was pushing many agendas that were godless. And it was a challenge to go to work every day to see this person. And I can remember one time even going to her and, and trying to, to, to be reconciled to her because I could tell that she really didn't like me. And I went to her and said, is there something I've done that I could, you know, fix or, or be better, somehow reconcile to you because I'm, I'm a Christian and this, you know what... And I said, is there anything I've done to, to offend you? And she said, not anything more than anyone else. I was like, well, okay, what, I guess, we'll see. What does that mean now? Not anyone. <laughs> to the very end, she was constantly, uh, in my mind, 
That was what defined my school experience there. And suddenly one day, she was gone. And I remember coming to school and thinking, where did this lady go? And the thing is, I, I can't remember her name. The memory of her has vanished. It came back to me while I was writing this sermon to bring back this, you know, think about this. But I don't remember her. She was, she was blessed out of my life. God gave her another job. And suddenly, I was free. I remember at one time speaking with a Christian sister um, during this time when I was teaching there and was, was bemoaning the fact that, that this woman was always frustrated with me and, and didn't seem to like me. And I'm going on and on and on. And she just stops me and says, Kevin... She hates the light. I go, oh, okay. And I said, but you know, I couldn't. No, Kevin, <laughs> she hates the light. But God took her, took her away, and the very memory of her has perished. Their memory has passed away, David says. The wicked are like chaff that the wind blows away. Look at Psalm 1 with me. Flip over there. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The wicked, the Lord says, are like chaff. If you've ever been to a a farm uh, or or working with hay bales, and and there's all this chaff, this this, uh, crumpled up hay, I was watching recently a, 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 a documentary about s- storms and about tornadoes. And the, and the tornado comes in and it just rips up all this ground. It goes through a wheat field and all this stuff is just blowing everywhere. It's gone. You see it being blown away. And there's no way for you to go and collect all that back and put it back where it goes. Or somehow it, it's, it's, it's demolished. It's blown away. There's no, there's no bringing chaff back. Chaff is is being blown away, it's light, it's, it, it, it's transitory. The wicked will perish. Where are the statues praising Absalom, the wicked who went after his own father, who denied the king of our God? When was the last time you, you met a Philistine? You may say that metaphorically, but, uh, but yeah, you, hi, I'm, I'm from Philistia, you know, I'm, uh, I'm a son of Gath, and, uh, you know, no, right? Or the Canaanites. There's a possibility that this is dealing with not just Absalom. It could be one commentator thinks that Psalm 9, David could be referring to Goliath. Or it could be, of course, the Philistines. Or any Gentile nation that was coming against uh, David and his people at the time. God takes away the enemies of his people. While even the, the memory of the wicked disappear. The psalmist remembers the might and permanence of the Lord. He is everlasting. He is never-ending. Look at Psalm 9 again, 7 and 10. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. 
He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Over and against the, the wicked who are transitory and who are, who are passing away, there is God. But you, O Lord, but you, Lord, the Lord, He sits enthroned forever. God is sitting on His throne, which means He is doing what? If He is a king, what is He doing? He is ruling and He is reigning. God is enthroned. Our enemies in the world, Sister Toot Toot, will pass away. It will all pass away. There will be no pride flags flying on Judgment Day. There will be no pride flags flying on Judgment Day. And we'll go and later we'll see what God says of the nation that forgets Him. But our Lord is enthroned forever. He is our King and He is our God. He is established for justice. He is for justice. Biblical justice. True justice. Not some kind of sham social justice, which is completely a lie. No, He is for true justice, biblical justice. He judges the world with righteousness. He looks and sees. His eyes see it all. And He knows who are His. And He upholds us, the oppressed. i got to admit, sometimes I can, I can be discouraged when I'm watching the news and I read the Wall Street Journal or other, other you know, news media outlets. It's discouraging. It's frustrating. But look, He is a stronghold for me. He's a stronghold for you when we are oppressed. He's a stronghold in times of trouble. Are you troubled? Are you challenged? Are you hurting? Run to the Lord because He is your stronghold. He is our stronghold. And look at verse 10. And those who know your name put their trust in you. A name is personal. When I used to substitute teach, uh, that's a challenging job. Teaching is a challenging job. A substitute... Uh, they actually don't think substitutes are human. Most children don't, right? And it's like, woo-woo, you know, Mr. Brian is gone. The substitute is here. I get to do whatever I want. I found very early on as a substitute, the first thing I would do is I'd come into a brand new class. I would, some, you'd have a kind of a knot in your stomach every day because you'd show up at a new school, a new class. And didn't know, you don't know the kids. First thing I would do when i come in as a substitute, I would walk in. I would introduce myself, I'd tell a little bit about myself, and I'd say, okay, now I'm going to learn your names. Okay, let's start here. What's your name? Jacob. Okay, Jacob. All right, what's your name? Warren. Okay, Jacob. Warren. Okay, what's your name? Chad. I would go around with 30 kids, and the first five to ten minutes, I would learn all their names. Because I found out early on, if I didn't know their name, I had no authority over them. I would say, hey, you. They'd be like, who? You know, that's not, you know. But if I said, hey, Jacob, all of a sudden, Sit down, <laughs> right? You know. So all of a sudden, you, you and look here. Those who know your name put their trust in you. One of my little boys in kindergarten was running one time, and I told him to stop running. And he looked at me and said, 
I don't know you. You're a stranger, right? So I don't have to listen to you. I don't know you. You're a stranger. He had a, a lovely teacher who actually was from Ireland. And uh, next time she saw him, she pulled him up and she says, Reginald, this is Mr. Brian. <laughs> he is not a stranger. <laughs> right? So, so then suddenly, okay, okay. All right? If I know you, I can put my trust in you. For those who know your name, they put their trust in you. Do you know his name? Do you know him? For those of us who know the Lord, he knows us and we know him. And we put our trust in him. He is the I am. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He knows us. And so we know Him and we put our trust in Him. He ends that little section with this, For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. We sing often, A mighty fortress is our God. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. Our helper, He amid the flood of mortal ills, prevailing for still our ancient foe who's that doth seek to work us woe his craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing we're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is He. Lord Sabaoth, His name, from age to age the same, and He must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed His truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. What word shall fail him? That word, above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Amen? Amen. Amen? Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Put your hope and trust in God. They got nothing on us. Right? What are you going to do to me? Kill me? Go right ahead. I'll be with the Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. I remember this, this one line. Of course, you know, Martin Luther wrote this. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. There's a, a probably a little urban myth or whatever you call it, a myth about Martin Luther during the, during the Reformation that supposedly he heard something creaking in his room and he turned over and Satan was sitting in the rocking chair next to his bed. And Luther looked and said, oh, it's just you, and turned back over and went to sleep. <laughs> right? 
That's how we should feel about Satan. Yes, we understand his schemes. He is like a roaring lion, but he's got nothing on us. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 16, 13 through 18. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus is building his church. He will continue to build his church. He has built it, and he will continue to build it. Jesus is building his church. In Hebrews 13.5, the psalmist reminds us, For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You will never be left. You'll never be forsaken. God is with you. Christ is with you. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. And so we can face these challenges in our culture today because He will never leave us nor forsake us. That brings us to point three, the psalmist response. So the psalmist, the psalmist resolves to praise his God because he remembers how great his God is. And then here's the psalmist, how the psalmist response. He, he sings and he pleads. Look at verses 11 to 14. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. That's what we've done this morning. As we've been singing these songs, we're not just singing little ditties, little, little tunes, little jazzy numbers, or something just to have some emotional experience. We are telling the people his deeds. We're exulting. We're having supreme joy in Christ this morning. So he says, Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the people his deeds. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. And then here he pleads, Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. During these times of, of challenge, we can pray as David prayed and say, Lord, Lord, look at me. See my affliction. I am standing for you. I'm standing for righteousness. I'm standing for the truth. And I may be afflicted. If you're not afflicted yet, you probably will be someday. And I'm preaching this sermon to help prepare us for the affliction that is probably coming. So be prepared. Be ready. And then we can plead like David plead and say, Lord God, be gracious to me. Oh, Lord, see my affliction from those who hate me. And Jesus can say right back to us, they hated me. They're going to hate you too. Sister Toot Toot and the Dodgers organization hate Jesus Christ. It's blasphemous what they are supporting and doing. They are haters of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And those who stand for righteousness and say, we won't stand for it. We'll be fired. We'll be evicted. We'll be mocked. To have a pride flag flying over our city property and to have a woman who I actually went to church with, Janice Hahn, when I moved to this, this state in 1987, she attended my church. She's a supposed proclaimer or professor of Jesus Christ. For her to stand with her giddy smile, and if you watch the, the video of her, she's, she's tee-hee and laughing. It's so cute to have this large man with a beard and a woman's, not even a woman, it's a clown. It's a mockery of women and a supposed nun's hat on, giving a blessing, a supposed blessing. We must, we must stand. We must stand. We can't stand idly by as these kinds of things come, and especially as they come to take our children. This week I was watching a clip from the Pride March in New York City. The chant was this, the whole crowd, we're queer, we're here, and we're coming to get your children. We're, ke- we're here, we're queer, and we're coming to get your children. They're telling us exactly what they're doing. Far be it from us to say, well, that's just, come, that's just, we're just they're just teasing. But we must stand. We must stand, and we must stand for the truth and, and help uh, our children, to help our communities. Uh, I want to encourage you this week. This is a little on the, on the side here. Write our mayor, of the mayor of Torrance. Praise God. For eight years prior to this year, there has been proclaimed a pride month for the city of Torrance. Not this year. Thank God for George Chen, right? Thank God for George Chen, our mayor, who's a brother in Christ. Write him. Tell him thank you. Tell the city council Thank you for standing for righteousness. And stop slipping into the situation where we say, oh, transgender, that's just too far, but I don't have any problem with gay people. That's what I hear from conservative talk radio. I have lots of gay friends. They're all my buddies. Everything's great. I have no problem with LGBT. I have a problem with these transgender. No, let's stand. Let's stand. That's free as well, okay? So a little off. The psalmist response. That's how he responds. He, he, responds, he, re, he responds with singing and with pleading, with singing praise to God and with pleading to him as well that he would see our affliction, that he would protect us from those who hate us. Finally, the Lord's retribution. Notice my points here are the psalmist, the psalmist, the psalmist, and point number four, the Lord's retribution. Verse 15, the nations have sunk in the pit that they made. Just think about that. The nations. David looks and sees these nations that are standing against God's people. The nations have sunk in the pit that they made. In the net that they hid, their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. The wicked shall return to Sheol, death, all the nations that forget God. No nation here David sees. No nation David sees is is somehow getting off scot-free. Any nation that forgets God, that nation 
will return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. God will forget these nations, but He won't forget those who are needy and those who are poor, and those are people just like us, right? He then says this in verse 19, Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. Let them know. That should be our prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, help our governor know that he is but a man. Lord Jesus Christ, help us. Help our president to know that he is but a man. Those who rule over us. What he's saying is here, humble them, O God. And may we be reminded of that as well. We are but men. We are but men. We are mere humans. The Lord, the Lord Himself will bring retribution. It is not for us to avenge. What does Scripture say? It is, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Our job is to, is to, as the army of God, do what the army of God does. We march on our knees. The army of God marches on their knees. Humble, contrite before the Lord. Praying, singing, praising, meeting, encouraging, fellowshipping. All these things are the things that we're doing to stand true in this dark time. But the Lord Himself will bring retribution. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 10 speaks of this future time of retribution. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints, that's you, and to be marveled at among all who have believed. Yes, it is a challenged time we live in. And our job is to stand fast, to remain true, to sing, to exult, to praise, to look back. We look back at David and see, here's a battle, here's a victory that our brother won because of God. And there'll be many victories that we also win in these different battles that we are fighting. We can stand firm and stand true. But we know that ultimately, God's justice will be done. The, way, the, the, the war wages on, and we are, behind, we are behind enemy lines. C.S. Lewis said this, writing, of course, during World War II, thinking about what it was to be a Christian. He said, enemy-occupied territory. Enemy-occupied territory. That is what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed in disguise, and is calling us all to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. When you go to church, you're really listening in to the secret wireless from our friends. This is my encouragement to you today. My encouragement to Christian dissidents. As we come together to sing, 
to pray, to hear God's word proclaimed, to encourage each other, to love each other, to love our wives, to love our husbands, to be great workers in the workplace, all that we, all that we learn through Ephesians. That's how we resist the evil one. My encouragement for you today is to do this, to do what the psalmist, the psalmist did. I pray that you will, you resolve, you resolve to be the man of God. You resolve to be the woman of God. You remember, remember that God is on the throne and He is your Lord and He is your Savior. And you respond. You respond by singing great praises, by writing great songs, by reading your Bible, by praying, by loving each other. And we will allow, as the body of Christ, we'll allow the Lord to bring His retribution, which Scripture tells us is certainly coming. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this day. It is a great day that we've had to worship Your holy name and be encouraged in in so many ways. We've recounted and we've exulted in You, just as the psalmist has encouraged us, even in our church service today. We've sang of your, your goodness and your greatness and your might. We've, we've talked about our own sinful nature and, and how we are fallen and, and, and struggle. We're weak and we're frail, but you are strong. So we pray today that you will hear our prayer for ourselves and for our nation. Lord, that um, we may look back as the psalmist David looks back over these battles and victories that you brought about in his life that we also will look back and see that those who do evil, that their very memory has perished from this land. We know that that will be the case when you come and see us, but we pray even now that we can see this in our own lifetimes. Lord, be with us, strengthen us, help us. In your name we pray, amen.